Hello, welcome to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Tom. And we're going to go through Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice chapter by chapter. All right, and today we are doing chapter seven. Yep, so why don't you give us the summary this time? Oh, uh, will you will you talk about what happened in chapter six? Oh, very yeah, briefly. Sure. So chapter six, um, this is, again, the day after the ball. So Liza and Charlotte discuss their thoughts on Jane and Bingley and where they're going and how they're progressing. Um, you know, they have conflicting philosophies about marriage and about love. Uh, then we sort of uh, jump into a different scene where we're at a party at Lucas Lodge um, with like all of the important characters of this book. Um, Darcy at this party starts to take notice of Elizabeth, um, you know, starts to sort of see her in a different light unbeknownst to, Liz- to Elizabeth. Um, and, you know, through some wacky hijinks, Sir Lucas, or Sir William Lucas comes over and tries to get Darcy and Elizabeth to dance because, you know, why not insert yourself into awkward situations? Elizabeth, um, flat out refuses to dance with Darcy and Darcy, uh, kind of admires her for it, for not trying to, um, secure a dance partner, especially because he is so against the very idea of dancing in polite company. And um, after Elizabeth sort of leaves, Darcy confides in uh, Caroline Bingley that he is starting to find Elizabeth to be quite pretty. So, great, lots of good stuff's happening. Thank you, Grace. Yeah, I apologize in this episode for the excessive length of the last one. Uh, but there's also a lot of stuff that happens in this chapter, so strap in. We might be here for a little while. <laughs> All right, I'll go over the summary of what happens in Chapter 7, and then we'll go into it in greater detail. So at the beginning of Chapter 7, we learn about this entailment, which we're going to talk about more. But basically, since Mr. Bennett does not have any sons, his fortune will be inherited on a distant relation, and it's not going to any of his daughters, which is the reason Mrs. Bennett is so marriage crazy for her for her uh, to get her daughters married mm-hmm. so then we learn about mrs bennett's siblings her father was a lawyer in the town of meryton which is about a mile away from longbourn uh and then her sister married her father's clerk who is mr phillips her sister is now mrs phillips they both live in meryton and mrs bennett has another brother who lives in london and is prosperous in trade and we learn that the Bennett girls like to go over to Meryton and visit with their Aunt Phillips. There's not a whole lot going on, but they can always find some gossip from her. And most pertinently is a militia of soldiers have just arrived in Meryton, and this makes Catherine and Lydia very excited. Yeah, think they... of it as Fleet Week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it Fleet, Fleet Winter this is going <laughs> to last a long time. Yes. Uh, they can't stop talking about it. Mr. and Mrs. Bennett have a little argument over just how silly they are. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bennett thinks his two youngest daughters are very silly. Silly, I'm sorry. Uh, then, while we're having this discussion, a note arrives from Netherfield inviting Jane to come dine with Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst. But unfortunately, much to Mrs. Bennett's uh, despair, the Miss B- Mr. Bingley... And Mr. Darcy, the gentleman, will be out dining with the soldiers. So this is just a girls' party that Jane is invited to. But don't worry, Mrs. Bennett has a plan to remedy that. She sees it's about to rain. 
and she insists that Jane go on horseback and not take the carriage, so she will be stuck at Netherfield, which horribly backfires. Well, not it goes all according to plan for Mrs. Bennet, but Jane gets in very sick. She gets a cold while riding her horse over in the rain to Netherfield, and she has to stay there so she can see the apothecary, like the doctor-type figure, to come and help her get better. And Elizabeth insists that she walk over there, walk the three miles to Netherfield to go visit her sister and make sure she's okay. She does it. She gets all muddy and, like, sweaty. Uh, this shocks Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst. However, Mr. Bingley is very much in favor of this. It touches his heart to see such sisterly affection. Mr. Darcy is torn between wondering whether it was necessary and admiring Jane's ruddy complexion. Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, Elizabeth's, I'm sorry. Elizabeth's ruddy complexion from her walk. Mr. Hurst just wants his breakfast. <laughs> uh, of course, when Jane sent the note, she was underselling how sick she actually was. She has a very violent cold. And Elizabeth stays there with her all day. And just as about as she's about to return back to Longfe uh, Longbourn... Jane begs with Elizabeth to stay, so they have to make up a room for her. Yep, that's All right. about it. Yeah, that is Chapter 7. So uh, let's get into it. How does Chapter 7 start? All right, I'll start. Mr. Bennett's property consisted almost entirely in an estate of 2000 a year, which, unfortunately for his daughters, was entailed in default of heirs male on a distant relation. And their mother's fortune, though ample for her situation in life, could but ill supply the deficiency of his. Okay. So, so I yeah. like that this chapter immediately starts off with in terms of just like the cold hard facts of their economic situation. Mm. Oh, Austin always gives us figures. Yeah. Yeah, she gives us exact numbers of what people are making. <laughs> yes. And we talked about this a little earlier. Uh, this is interesting. We get a lot of action before we find out that the Bennett sister, the Bennett daughters are not going to inherit any of their father's fortune. Mm -hmm. But we were discussing earlier pre-podcast that to a reader of this time, it'd probably be, this is a commonly held like fact that you need a male heir. Right. Like whereas modern on audiences might be like, oh, Mrs. Bennett is just wants her daughters to be like in happy, secure, not even happy, but just like secure marriages for just you know just for the sake of their like relative comfort uh -huh, or appearance yeah, yeah. and in fact it's actually because like once their father dies they're not gonna inherit diddly squat it's gonna go to like a distant cousin and the daughters could very well be turned out onto the streets mm -hmm. and have to like become governesses or whatever have to work which have is very work. shocking yeah. and, and emma that will be a a big subplot and whether jane fairfax will have to suffer the indignity of being a governess <laughs> but and mrs bennett has some fortune from her father but not nearly enough to support five women into adulthood right it's kind of unfortunate because it's just like no matter how wealthy the bennett's are just the mere fact that they that mr bennett doesn't have a son it it's all going to go away as soon as Mr. Bennett uh, dies. Dies, yeah, kicks the bucket. It's messed up, but that was that was the those were the facts. And so we were talking in my Norton Critical Edition. Shout out to Norton, also <laughs> publisher of my favorite Jane Eyre copy. Uh, <laughs> talks about what this money would look like, roughly in today's uh, today val today's figures, today's yeah, values. Roughly twenty twenty numbers. Uh, so Mr. Bennett. Has two thousand a year, 
Mm-hmm. Which is about we said like one hundred forty five thousand yeah. a year. Yeah. Uh, and just to like have a reference point for that, this book also says that a lawyer would make about four hundred and fifty pounds right. a so year. Right. So four hundred and fifty for a working lawyer compared to Mister Bennett, who is um, just a, a, a landowner. A landowner yeah. is making two thousand a year. So he is definitely upper middle class. Yes. But let's also remember that. Mr. Bingley has 5,000 pounds a year, so that, that equals about, like, 360,000 mm-hmm. in 2020 currency. Yeah, a year. Uh, and Mr. Darcy, of course, the richest of them all, he makes 10,000 pounds a year, so that's about 725,000 a year. Yep. So... Not the, too shabby. <laughs> the Bennets are upper middle class, but they are not the same level of wealth as like Bingley or Darcy. That's right. Uh huh. Yes, there's a big difference between a hundred and forty-five thousand and seven hundred and twenty-five thousand. So this gives you a kind of a good idea of what the Bennets' situation is. But of course, they have this terrible entailment. Yes. Also, I kind of just want to say, Mr. Phillips is a lawyer making around four hundred forty-seven pounds a year which comes out to a little less than thirty six thousand dollars in 2020 which is just about how much i was making at my first job in new york (laughs) my book also says a skilled laborer would probably make between 55 pounds and 90 pounds a year so this is (laughs) that's your like what your doctors and skilled laborer uh like a blacksmith blacksmith. maybe yeah someone who makes something maybe a milliner yeah well okay well we're gonna find about out about uh Mrs. Bennett's history and her family here. So we learn about the entailment on Mr. Bennett's fortune and how Mrs. Bennett's fortune could not supply the deficiency of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we learn Mrs. Bennett's father had been an attorney in Meryton and it had left her 4,000 pounds a year. So her father or was... Had left her 4,000 pounds. I'm yes. sorry. Flat. Yeah, flat. So her father huh. was also a working man. He worked for his money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, will you go ahead for us? Sure. She had, she, Mrs. Bennett, had a sister married to a Mr. Phillips, who had been a clerk to their father and succeeded him in the business, and a brother, settled in London in a respectable line of trade. Respectable. Respectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't worry. He's not a winemaker, I guess. He's I not guess a Madeira so. merchant. Yeah, not like uh-huh. a genteel worker. So she has a, a sister, mm-hmm. um, and she has a brother. Yes. I don't. We don't know how much the brother makes now, but... So, as we were saying, Mrs. Bennett is in a better way of life right now... Currently, ...than yeah. her, her sister. She married better, mm-hmm. even though her husband hates her. <laughs> um, okay, and then we learned the village of Longbourn, where the Bennetts live, was only one mile from Meryton... A most convenient distance for the young ladies, who are usually tempted thither three or four times a week to pay their duty to their aunt and to a milliner's shop just over the way. What is that? A a hat maker. Fancy ladies' hats. So to pay their respect to their aunt and their hat maker. Right. It's like uh, running errands. You're going to go visit your aunt and you're going to go stop by to do some window Uh, shopping. I I should say pay their duty. I like that. Yeah, pay their duty. Uh, Yeah, you have to pay your duty to the hat maker. Uh, the two youngest of the family, Catherine and Lydia, were particularly frequent in these attentions. Their minds were more vacant than their sisters. This is some great (laughs) Austin just telling us how it is. Uh, and when nothing better offered, a walk to Meryton was necessary to amuse their morning hours and furnish conversation for the evening. And however bare of news the country in general might be, they always contrived to learn some from their aunt. 
So I think we're, what this is saying is that uh, Catherine and Lydia, vacant of mind, they can't entertain themselves maybe in the same way a Jane or Elizabeth can. Right. So they have to go to Maryton, walk that mile distance. A very convenient distance for young ladies. Yeah, to, uh, and then get the, however hot the gossip can possibly be in a quiet little town. This is a funny way of phrasing it. Contrive to learn some gossip from their aunts. So they are, they have to work kind of hard at getting this sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot going on in the country, but, however, however what's happening at present? Um, at present, indeed, they were well supplied both with news and happiness by the recent arrival of a militia regiment in the neighborhood. It was to remain the whole winter, and Meriton was the headquarters. Will you tell us a little bit, Grace? Just give us some background info about this, the British militia. Right, okay, uh -huh. so the militia was just, like, the main branch of the military, of the army, um, mainly like concerned with domestic offense. I'm telling everything that everything I'm saying right now is coming from the notes of who, my book. Who who published your book? Oh yeah, I should. My book was published by Anchor Books. Um, this is the annotated Pride and Prejudice. It's I really like it. Like every other page will have like a whole page of notes just for like context and background. Yeah, unfortunately, these facts are not coming from our. No, writings. we're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're well, not doing yeah. really our due diligence other than just like reading the the notes. But um. So militia units were um, you would usually take up residence during in town in the winter time when um, there was like little danger of invasion. This was also during the Napoleonic Wars, so um, everyone was sort of like there was this like undercurrent of fear that the French were gonna invade Great Britain. So um, as a result, their like domestic militias were always on high alert and. Um, during the winter time, when there was like less danger danger of invasion, they would take up residence in town, and they would be housed at local inns because inns and even like um, some even like family homes would be pretty much forced to house these military guys, and that as a result is why we have the Third Amendment in, in the, the U.S. Constitution, Constitution, yeah. the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. Constitution about not having to house the militia or anyone in the military if uh for further reference if you're interested in reading about the Nepali napoleonic wars uh vanity fair the novel it deals directly with the napoleonic wars including people going and fighting in it and there's a very this kind of this book was written after pride and prejudice but probably the most pivotal scene in the book is where the eve of a great battle the narrator comes in and tells us but we're not going to follow the soldiers to the field our our purview is the ladies drawing room <laughs> i almost feel like this is pride and prejudice is uh a precedent for that mm -hmm. like here are soldiers but we're not gonna talk about war we're gonna talk about love instead yeah despite like there's some like there's some like references to real life wars going on in jane austen there's very little like actual um current events it's just like a lot of it is so insular they take place in like a single small town and um it's almost like it's almost like a bubble uh -huh. where you don't talk about real world current events like war and um, i don't know re recession or whatever uh -huh. yeah exactly they do they talk about it in other contemporary books but that is not something austin's interested in i no. i do like the introduction of soldiers just to kind of emphasize like the love and war metaphor like it's like much ado about nothing like oh I here see are these soldiers back from the front they're ready to like we're not flirt, gonna flirt with some women yeah, we're yeah, not gonna uh -huh. talk about the war yeah. and what they've been through we're gonna talk about these hot guys trying to hook up with these hot ladies <laughs> instead. Uh, um, also, brief side note, 
Old Boney was the nickname the Brits had for Napoleon. Old Boney? Old Boney. Why? Do you know? I don't know why, but it is true. Boney. Oh, because Bonaparte. Okay. Oh, yeah, there you, sense, well, there you go. There you go. I just assumed that. All right. All, right, all right. I guess my mind went other places, but <laughs> it's the I truth. Think all of ours did. It's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's talk more about. Will you talk? Tell us more about uh, Catherine and Lydia's visits to Mrs. Phillips. Oh, sure. Um, because of the soldiers. Yes. Uh, do you want me to just keep going? Sure. All right. Their visits, theirs being Lydia and Kitty's, mm-hmm. their visits to Mrs. Phillips were now productive of the most interesting intelligence. So they're mm. like, finally, there's some interesting stuff to talk about. Um, every day added something to their knowledge of the officers' names and connections. That's the kind of intelligence we're talking about. Yeah. I appreciate the use of intelligence in uh-huh. this context. It's like not military intelligence, just like gossipy intelligence. Uh-huh. Their names and connections. <laughs> their lodgings were not long a secret. They know where they live. And, um, <laughs> and at length, they began to know the officers themselves. Mm-hmm. A little creepy to like know who's living where and who's staying with where. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm sure the officers are not upset about this. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Mr. Phillips visited them all. All the officers. Right. And this opened to his nieces a source of felicity unknown before. Uh, I love... Uh, felicity is one of Austin's favorite words. And it's almost... All, I'd say like half the time used sarcastically. <laughs> this is a light, <laughs> light sarcastic yeah. use of it. Mr. Phillips also, I want to say, is doing what they wish Mr. Bennett, their own father, would do. Which is just to like make connections so that these girls can like have a good time with these guys. Like you basically have to strong arm Mr. Bennett to go see... Um, mr bingley mm-hmm. and here mr phillips is sort of just like yeah i'll i'll say hi just so you girls can have your fun uh-huh yeah when it says he's opening to his nieces sources of felicity unknown, unknown before, before that's like happiness like they've never known that's definitely uh-huh. like also a dig at mr bennett it's like it's like my own our own father never did anything like this for us that's true and at lydia and Catherine because that brings them the greatest joy in life is right yeah it's a double whammy yeah yes. which is what jane austen does best is insult multiple people in the course of one (laughs) sentence uh they could talk nothing of nothing but officers Catherine and lydia and mr bingley's large fortune the mention of which gave animation to their mother was worthless in their eyes when opposed to the regimentals of an ensign worthless in Catherine and lydia's eyes. what is the regimentals of an ensign the you know the (laughs) i want to say the drip on these officers. <laughs> oh, well, tell us, what is an ensign? Oh, right. So, yeah, to uh. further... Okay, yeah, I should... There's more context to just show how silly these girls are, but an ensign is the lowest-ranking officer in the army. Like a private. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So it just goes to show how out of whack these girls' priorities are, that, like, they would rather hang out with, like, really low... Like, lowest of... Like, lowest ladder-rung military men just because they're wearing, like military uniforms they've got the the ribbons they got the ribbons and Uh the badges and the the cords and probably all that i don't want to make anyone upset but this is just my own personal view that's ridiculous military uniforms (laughs) (laughs) all the pomp and ceremony i yeah there's i mean yeah why do you it's It's, it's weird it's like freaking yeah I, i mean let's dress up like the murder games i guess dress up like boy scouts and Give, our, give each other stickers and ribbons to make ourselves feel good. <laughs> for, for the gore that we've inflicted. All right, all right. But we're getting <laughs> far away from the book now. Uh, after listening one morning to Catherine and Lydia's effusions on the subject, Mr. Bennett coolly observed, From all that I can collect by your manner of talking, you must be two of the silliest girls in the country. 
I've suspected it sometime, but I am now convinced. Oof. Bad parenting. I mean, just like fair. That is fair. They are yes. very silly. Yes. But uh, he's not doing anything about it. Right. All he can do is make like snarky remarks. Yeah. It's like it is these 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 criticisms are fair, but you as their father are not the one sh- that should be making these criticisms and then doing nothing about it. This is a chapter of bad parenting. Mm-hmm. Um. Well. Okay. And so. After hearing this from their father, saying, mm-hmm. like, you two are dumb as shit, um, <laughs> Catherine was disconcerted and made no answer. But Lydia, with perfect indifference, continued to express her admiration of Captain Carter and her hope of seeing him in the course of the day as he's going the next morning to London. Okay, Captain Carter, not important. Not important. But uh, this is, I think this little paragraph gives us a, a little insight into the difference between Lydia and Catherine, who are often yeah. grouped together. Yeah. So, I, yeah. yeah. Who, who's the boss here? Lydia. Lydia's the uh, boss here. I also think Catherine, she was disconcerted by this. So yeah. she has a little bit of, okay. like, self-awareness. A little uh, bit of self-awareness, a little bit of shame. She's able to feel shamed by her father. But Lydia just, like, ignores it completely. Yeah. Lydia uh, certainly takes after her their mother and just completely ignoring anything Mr. Bennett has to say that's even remotely criti- critical. I think Catherine's like arc is that she has to come out from under the influence of Lydia. Lydia uh-huh. Yeah, which is, you know, it's interesting because Lydia is the youngest and Catherine is is following Lydia's mm-hmm. lead. Here. But let us not forget, she is also the tallest. That's right, she is the tallest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am astonished, my dear, said Mrs. Bennett, that you should... Be so ready to think your own children silly. If I wish to think slightingly of anybody's children, it should not be of my own, however. So Mrs. Ben is just like, you shouldn't say these about your Mm. own children. So fair, you probably shouldn't. Just like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe you should criticize your children, but you shouldn't just be like snarky towards them. But so... Part A of what Mrs. Bennett is saying is reasonable. Part B is if you're going to talk shit on anyone, it should be someone else's children. Yeah. So let's never, like, snap too far away from her own character. Right. To which Mr. Bennett responds, If my children are silly, I must hope to always be sensible of it. I guess also fair, but also, like, just saying that he basically saying, I prioritize recognizing my own children's Mm -hmm. silliness over anything else over child rearing over like not hurting my children's feelings there's a classic austin like combination of uh two alliterative words that mean opposite things silly and sensible here Mm. but there's it's also like i agree with what you're saying he's like if my children are silly all i'm gonna be is like aware of it i'm not gonna do anything about it (laughs) but i'll I'll call i'll mention it i guess yeah i guess that's how he Uh, derives joy is just mocking his own children and doing nothing about it uh, to which Mrs. Bennett replies, yes, but as it happens, they are all of them very clever. In complete lack of irony, all of she my says children. this, yeah, all, all of, of my children, children are clever. Uh-huh. And then Mr. Bennett goes, that is the point I flatter myself on which we do not, or sorry, that is the only point <laughs> I flatter myself on which we do not agree. Like, that's not. That's sarcasm. That's yeah, sarcasm. yeah, he says, I had hoped that our sentiments coincided on every particular but I must so far differ from you as to think our two youngest daughters uncommonly foolish. Okay, so Mr. Bennett never for a second thought that all of their opinions coincided. He He's being sarcastic he's here. He's being sarcastic uh, here. He 
Yeah. It is important to mention, though. And it's too smart for Mrs. Bennet to catch on, I well, think. Well, yeah, he singles out the two youngest. So mm -hmm. he's not, Elizabeth is not included in this, nor Jane, really. Nor Mary, but I guess he's, Mary's often ignored. Mary's making, like, a fool of the family in other ways. Right. <laughs> yeah, other than talking about soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, and then Mrs. Bennet goes, my dear Mr. Bennet, you must not expect such girls to have the sense of their father and mother. I imagine Mr. Bennet like shudders when he says when she says that. Yeah, he's uh -huh. like, how dare you think that we're of <laughs> equal intelligence? Um, when they get to our age, I dare say they will not think about officers any more than we do. I remember the time when I liked a red coat myself very well, and indeed, so do I still at my heart. And if a smart young colonel with five or six thousand a year should want one of my girls, I shall not say nay to him. And I thought Colonel Forster looked very becoming the other night as Sir William in his regimental. <laughs> okay. A lot here. This is great because, so now we know where Lydia gets it from, her yes. her soldier craziness. But I also love how Mrs. Bennet, at the beginning of this sentence, or at the beginning of this paragraph, says, we, like, people at our age don't care so much about soldiers, but actually, I still do very much <laughs> yeah. when I was a girl. Yeah, uh, she's like, oh, I remember when I was a young girl, I liked them. And I guess I still do. Yeah. <laughs> and wait, that guy sure did good, look good in his regimentals, Colonel Forrester. She also just has no idea how much soldiers make because she thinks that a colonel can make five or six thousand a year, which is what Bingley has. Yeah, uh... So she's just totally out of her depths when it comes to like finances and like any type yeah. of like real world <laughs> that's a great point uh if she were to meet a soldier who is extravagantly wealthy i wouldn't have any problem with that <laughs> uh okay and then lydia pipes in here she says mama cried lydia my aunt says that colonel forster and captain carter do not go so often to miss watson's as they did when they first came she sees them now very often standing in clark's library so Lydia's not engaged in this conversation. No, Lydia is has her priorities straight, which is to just to talk about the officers and which one she saw that day, or which one she heard about that day, and what they're doing. So my book says Clark's Library would be like a public library. Yep. So uh, what we conjecture is Miss Watson is not a character. No, Miss Watson book. is just uh -huh. a family in in this town. Yeah. To so maybe like Miss Watson. The Miss Watsons? There's only one here. But yeah, it says uh, maybe Colonel Forrester and Captain Carter were paying, like, some attentions to her. But they are no longer. And this makes Lydia very excited. Yes. She's like, finally. <laughs> now my turn to shine. Um, Mrs. Bennett was prevented replying to this remark by Lydia. By the entrance of the footman with a note from Miss Bennett. It came from Netherfield. And the servant waited for an answer. All right. So... The scene is interrupted by the arrival of a message. This is some of the few mentions of servants, actually, in mm -hmm. in this book and in a lot of Austin. Uh-huh. But, so, the Bennett's footman comes in with a note for Miss Bennett, meaning Jane. It came, the note came from Netherfield, and the servant from Netherfield was waiting for Jane's answer. Yes. Or is the footman from Netherfield? Sorry, is that what you said? I think, okay, I think the footman and the servant are two different people. Right, the footman, so, it came yeah. from Netherfield. The footman... To deliver the note. Oh, I'm sorry, the footman belongs to Longbourn. What did I say? No, I think, I forget what you said, but in my book it says the footman probably came from Netherfield to give the note to the servant who is at Longbourn. Because, is that right? I... Or do you think the... I think the footman 
belongs to Longbourn. So the servant from Netherfield came to Longbourn, told the footman this. The footman came into like the breakfast parlor or wherever oh, they are. I see. He said, there's a note from Netherfield. The servant from Netherfield is waiting for your answer before he can go back. I see. Okay. That's not what your book says? It says here the footman is probably from... He came here from Netherfield. And uh, is the servant another word for footman? Maybe they're the same person. Maybe they're the same uh, person. Okay. Maybe all, right, all right. this whole time it's just been one guy bringing a note. The to, footman to Jane. and the servant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. All right. It's not important anyway. It's Servants aren't important. It's could have just been passive language. <laughs> um, Mrs. Bennett's eyes sparkled with pleasure, and she was eagerly calling out while her daughter read, "Well, Jane, who is it from? What is it about? What does he say? Well, Jane, make haste and tell us. Make haste, my love." And so, Jane says, yeah. uh, Oh, can we oh. just say, I want to say real quick. So this note comes, mm-hmm. Mrs. Bennett's eyes sparkle with pleasure. <laughs> and she really calls out. I like how she asks, who is it? What's it about? What does he say? So she already knows, or she has a very clear idea in her mind who it is. Yeah, she thinks this letter is from Mr. Bingley yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, that's not he. Yeah. What does Mr. Bingley say? And she is just so, I mean, this this is like a true, like, true, like, character, um, port, character, portrait of mrs bennett just like in these like five questions all of which are like incomplete and just like telling jane to hurry up and read the letter yeah she's already she asks who is it and then she answers in his head yeah. her head it's mr bingley so <laughs> what, what does, does he, he say, say? Yeah. yeah uh but is it from mr bingley alas it is from miss bingley said jane and then read it aloud my dear friend if you are not so compassionate as to dine today with louisa and me louisa is mrs hurst we shall be in danger of hating each other for the rest of our lives, for a whole day's tete-a-tete between two women can never end without a quarrel. Come as soon as you can on the receipt of this. My brother and the gentleman are to dine with the officers. Mm-hmm. Come Yours as... truly, Caroline Bingley. Hmm. Come as soon as you can on, like, the receival of this, I guess, the receipt of this. Yeah. As soon as you receive this. So, a lot of things are revealed in, in this little letter. First of all, they, she's saying that if... Jane doesn't come over, then Jane and Caroline are in danger of hating uh, each other. Miss, uh, Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Are in danger of hating each other for the rest of our lives for a day's tete-a-tete, I guess, for, like, a discussion. One-on-one conversation. Yeah. That's one of Austin's favorite phrases. Right. Between uh, two women can never end without a quarrel. So, like, first of all, <laughs> exaggerate much. And second of <laughs> all, um... She doesn't even want Jane to be there because of Jane. She, well, she is like, my brother and everyone else is away. I can't, I'm sick of my sister. Just like, we'll get Jane. She's the closest by, exactly. right? Exactly, uh-huh. yeah. And yeah, like, they just need a third person there to like break up the discussion a little bit. It's not even because that they particularly enjoy Jane's presence. It's probably just because Jane is the, I guess, the favored out of all the Bennett sisters, which isn't even a lot. Yeah, well, they don't really think highly of anyone in this neighborhood. So right. Jane, like, passes. But it's also significant that Miss Bingley is not inviting Jane over when Mr. Bingley is there. That's She's not true. trying to help her on that front. But, so what is, uh, what is Lydia? Mm-hmm. What stands out to Lydia about this letter? Okay, so, with the officers, <laughs> cried Lydia. I wonder my aunt did not tell us of that. So that's... That's all she got from that letter, officers. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I know about this <laughs> piece like, of information? She gets like she yeah, her ears perk up anytime someone mentions the word officers. Lydia does have like a little maybe I guess that was a common thing, a little officer 
like yeah i don't know sure like Uh, she's young she's 15 there's like nothing else to do in town there's smart red coats the only Uh. new thing that has happened in a long time is that all of these young single men suddenly (laughs) that's true like suddenly like swarming their little village uh and then um but what what mrs ben, what is mrs bennett catch yeah on yeah to? dining out like miss B- mr bingley in particular mm-hmm. that is very unlucky but jane isn't she just goes can i have the carriage asked jane no my dear said mrs bennett you had better go on horseback because it seems likely to rain and then you must stay all night so so she's being pretty upfront her plan here yeah jane's like can i have the carriage and she's like Mrs. Ben's like, no, it's going to rain. So if you go on horseback, you'll have to stay all night. Mm. And what happens if Jane stays at Netherfield all night? All right, so... Well, what would happen? Oh. Why does Mrs. Bennett want her to stay okay, yeah, at in case, all yeah, night? Yeah, let's, let's, let's draw this whole thing out. So if... So right now, they're going to... Jane is going to go over there and have dinner, but Mr. Bingley is out. He's not at home. Um, Mrs. Bennett is saying, okay, well, Jane can take the horse, and by the time she gets there, it'll be raining, and if it's raining, they're not going to send you back on the horse. Mm-hmm. So because of that, they're going to let Jane stay overnight. Yeah. And perhaps the next morning, she'll see Mr. Bingley. She'll get to see Mr. Bingley. Yep. Yes. So, so ingenious. It is uh, quite ingenious. Uh-huh. I guess if this, like, all you do is think about how you're going to get your daughters married all day long, you, you get pretty good <laughs> at it. But yeah. Elizabeth says to this, that would be a good scheme if you were sure that they would not offer to send her home. So, like, if you were sure that the Bingleys would not offer to send Jane home in their carriage. Right. And what does Miss, Mrs. Bennett say to this? She goes, oh, she's all about these exas- like these like ex- like exclamations. Oh, but the gentleman would ha- will have Mr. Bingley's chaise to go to Meryton, and the Hursts have no horses to theirs. So we already know Miss, Mrs. Bennett is, is always thinking about carriages. She, yes. she knows everyone's equipage. <laughs> Yeah, she knows that um, Mr. Bingley will have taken the carriage to go dine with the officers, and so therefore there will not be a carriage at Netherfield. And apparently the Hursts have no horses on their carriage. I don't know about Mm -hmm. that. Uh, And Jane says, I had much rather go in the coach. So (laughs) Jane is not up. Jane is not scheming like mrs bennett is jane is just like it's raining i want to take the coach. i imagine like she's saying these words like quietly like she's being drowned out by the rest of her family mm-hmm. here yeah and then uh mrs bennett goes but my dear your father cannot spare the horses i am sure they are wanted in the farm mr bennett are they not are they, not they they are wanted in the farm much oftener than i can get them mr bennett said uh so Mrs. Bennett, so, so much scheming. Yeah. Uh, She's a pro here. You're talking to, like, this is, like, 5D-level chess. You know? <laughs> so she tells Jane her plan. Go on horseback. They'll make you stay the night. Mm-hmm. Jane is like, I'd still rather take the carriage. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Bennett's like, well, your father really needs the horses for farm work. Right. And she goes, right, Mr. Bennett? And then Mr. Bennett goes... They are wanted in the farm much oftener than I can get them. So basically, he always needs the horses for the farm. Yeah, but instead, they're being, like, taken by these daughters to conduct their frivolous activities. (laughs) Like, go to Meryton and whatever. We really don't talk too much about Mr. Bennett's, his farming, but that is how he would probably make a lot of his money, is he he was what would be known at the time as a gentleman farmer. Mm. So a landed, like... A landowner who runs a farm, and he probably a lot of the food that the Bennetts eat come from his farm. Yeah, it's also I wanna I wanna point out this this 
you know, this thing that Mr. Bennett says, while it is like a dig at Mrs. Bennett, just constantly taking away his horses, his workhorses. Um, they are, they are wealthy enough that they have horses to use as to use um, both for work and for carrying um, chaises and carriages, but it's not, they're not so wealthy that they have separate horses for working and for the carriages. That's and, a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, Unlike the Bingley's probably. Right. Yeah. The Bingley's horses almost for certain are only used for carriages. I don't know if they do any farming. Right. So yeah, so it's they're as much as the, as much as you can say they're scraping by, they are sort of scraping by in terms of their horses. <laughs> well, yeah, they're not the richest family. It's also that's a good point. I think it's also worth mentioning that Mr. Benedict like, this line seems to reflect how little, like, power he really has over his family. Right. Or not even just power, but, like, how much he cares about the the operations of his own family. I think he's kind of content just to sit back and let Mrs. Bennett run the show, like, run his life. <laughs> he's oh, too yeah. much more interested in just, like, making snarky comments. Yeah. In that way, they are sort of the perfect couple. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, but if you have... Got them today, Elizabeth says. If you, Mr. Bennett, if you have the horses today, my mother's purpose will be answered. So Elizabeth is like saying, like, like if you don't let Jane have the horses and carriage, then my mom's, your wife's plan will come to fruition. I feel like she's kind of, you know, getting in, like they're they're joking between the two of them a little bit. Okay. Like Elizabeth is like. You know, her father says, I want them, I need the horses much oftener than I have them. And Elizabeth's like, but if you get them today, then Mrs. Bennett's <laughs> purpose will be answered, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, She did at last extort from, her, extort from her father an acknowledgement that the horses were engaged. So I think Mrs. Bennett at last extorted from Elizabeth's father an acknowledgement that the horses were engaged on the farm. Mm. Does that sound right? Yes, I think so. Uh, Jane was therefore obliged to go on horseback. And her mother attended her to the door with many cheerful prognostics of a bad day. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, her hopes were answered. <laughs> Good. Her plan uh, succeeded. Yeah, exactly. Jane had not been gone long before it rained hard. Her sisters were uneasy for her, but her mother was delighted. This is more just like terrible parenting. <laughs> uh, the rain continued the whole evening without intermission. Jane certainly could not come back. What does Mrs. Bennett say? She goes, This was a lucky idea of mine indeed, said Mrs. Bennett, more than once, as if the, <laughs> as if the credit of making it rain were oh, all her great. own. Oh, that's great. Who do you think, like, whose brain is the narrator jumping into here? Like, do you think this is like... I think Mr. Bennett would have these I thoughts. Think so. But this is also in line with the, you know, the Austin third person who mm -hmm. tells us how stupid people are. <laughs> but I love that. More than once. <laughs> More than once. Hilarious detail. Yeah, and because uh, Mrs. Bennett is only capable of saying the same thing <laughs> again and again as we saw with the two dances. Uh and then she's going about like as if she made it rain herself. Yeah, she's uh, probably, I can imagine her like telling her daughters, telling Mr. Bennett, maybe even telling the servants that this is all her idea. And I mean, it's almost like such an obvious irony, it's barely worth mentioning, but that, like, you know, Mrs. Bennett is ultimately trying to do good by her daughters, especially Jane, by getting her and Mr. Bingley together, but at the cost of, like, putting Jane in, like, harm's way. Yeah, putting Jane in yeah. harm's way and, like, the just, like, putting her in, like, such a such a like embarrassing situation where she has to spend the night at like this at 
another person's house, you know. I guess Mrs. Bennet is just so marriage crazy. She can't possibly, <laughs> like, see any other implications other than this is going to advance her cause a little bit. Right. Till the next morning, however, she was not aware of all the felicity of her contrivance. <laughs> this is another sarcastic word, use of the word felicity. <laughs> <laughs> um, breakfast was scarcely over when a servant from Netherfield brought the following note for Elizabeth. Mm. And the note says, My dearest Lizzie, I find myself feeling un or very unwell this morning, which I suppose is to be imputed to my getting wet through yesterday. My kind friends will not hear of my returning home till I am better. They insist also on my seeing Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is the apothecary, so like like you said, the doctor. Mm -hmm. Someone who would prescribe medicine. Therefore, do not be alarmed if you should hear of his having been to me and expecting a sore throat and headache. There is not much the matter with me. I'm sorry, accepting a sore throat. Yeah. Yeah. So Jane is like, don't worry, I have to stay here, but I have to see the apothecary like a doctor. But don't worry, it's just a sore throat and a headache. Do we believe Jane? No. No. We're going to see that Jane is very much underselling what she's actually going through. That, that's very in line with Jane's character. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Bennet says, Well, my dear, said Mr. Bennet, when Elizabeth had read the note aloud, if your daughter should have a dangerous fit of illness, if she should die, it would be a comfort to know that it was all in pursuit of Mr. Bingley and under your orders. <laughs> it would be a comfort to know that it was under your orders. Yeah, as we saw that she has been bragging about how this was all her idea to begin with. So this was, of course, under her orders. Uh-huh. Like the true general she is of this household. <laughs> this is more of Mr. Bennett is just like so happy to take the back seat here. Like he is very aware that something really bad could happen to Jane. Mm. But if, he was aware that she could even die. But he's like, at least, you know, no, it won't be my fault. <laughs> At least it was like, it'll go to prove how ridiculous my wife is. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is a low blow for Mr. Bennett to say to Mrs. Bennett, like, if Jane dies, it's going to be your fault. <laughs> At least it's your fault. At least it's not mine. Yeah. I think Mr. Bennett is so like, this, I mean, this is not a generous reading, but he's so vindictive that it would almost cause him some pleasure to know that his wife had killed his daughter <laughs> in pursuit of a ridiculous scheme. <laughs> At least he could, he would definitely lord it over her head. Oh, totally, uh-huh. yeah. And then Mrs. Bennet responds, Oh, another oh, I am not at all afraid of her dying. <laughs> People do not die of little trifling colds. She will be well taken care of. As long as she stays there, it is all very well. I would go and see her if I could have the carriage. Wow. Mm, throwing it back in his face. Uh-huh. Well, I also like if I could have the carriage. Yeah, just yeah. total like totally shameless just as if the horses are for her personal use only i think she also doesn't want to visit her that too very yeah. much no, she uh-huh. wants, she, yeah i feel like a she has better things to do or she thinks she has better things to do and b she doesn't want to get in the way of jane and bingley yeah so she says i'm not afraid of her dying because people do not die of little trifling cold so she's taking jane at her word i also feel like this i'm not afraid of her dying is like it's true like that's not her concern like, she's more interested in Jane talking to Mr. Bingley than yeah. the possibility also, like, of her dying. People back then definitely died of cold. Oh, they did, yeah. So this is just, like, fully adding on just to Mrs. Bennett's, like, willful ignorance that, like, just she is so single-mindedly just trying to get them married. Like, she doesn't even care if it, like, is at the risk of her daughter her dying. Her daughter dying, yeah. And Mr. Bennett would be relieved that at least it would be his wife's fault if that <laughs> happened. Um, 
right, okay. So then... And so Elizabeth, so she says, I'd go visit her if I could take the carriage. Mm-hmm. And what, what does Elizabeth do? So Elizabeth, feeling really anxious, was determined to go to her, though the carriage was not to be had. And as she was no horsewoman, walking was her only alternative. She declared her resolution. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to say that she's not a horsewoman. So I kind of, it kind of goes to further show sort of her like lack of like what it would be considered accomplishments. Like uh-huh. she can't draw, she can't dance, she can't even ride a horse. Right. Jane rides oh, sorry, horse. No, she can't dance. She can't sing. She can't. She's okay at singing, but yeah, she's not a horsewoman. Yeah. Jane rides. Jane is obviously a capable enough horsewoman to ride this three mile journey on right. a horse alone. Mm-hmm. And then even so she. Like, what? Yeah, even Fanny Price in Mansfield Park, you know, rides like a very slow nag. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. It is interesting that she's not one. Yeah. So then she lets everyone know that this is what she's going to do. She's going to go walk there. How can you be so silly, cried her mother, as to think of such a thing and all this dirt? You will not be fit to be seen. You will not be fit to be seen when you get there. And she goes, I shall be fit, very fit to see Jane. That is all I want. So this is a little strange that Mrs. Bennet all of a sudden is, I don't know, worried that like Jane's going to make a scene by being dirty. I think it's partially just she just, just doesn't want Elizabeth like messing up her plans. Oh yeah. Did I say Jane again? I guess Elizabeth's going to make a scene. Mm. Anytime I confuse Elizabeth and Jane, it's because I'm thinking of Jane Austen. <laughs> um, And then, yeah, so like. Yeah, and so then what happened? And then what? Okay, so so Elizabeth says, "I shall be very fit to see Jane, which is all I want." Uh, is this a hint to me, Lizzie? Said her father to send for the horses. <laughs> what does Elizabeth say? Well, it's interesting here that her father only responds to Elizabeth. Like this, this is the only time that he's saying anything like respectful. He will give Elizabeth the horses, but he didn't intervene when. Uh, Mrs. Bennet schemed to take the horses away from Jane. Right, yeah. So this just goes to show her father actually does care, or at least is fond of, of Elizabeth. Uh-huh. He's, yeah, willing to actually engage with her. Yeah. So, and then she goes, No, indeed, I do not wish to avoid the walk. The distance is nothing when one has a motive. Only three miles. I shall be back by dinner. I admire the activity of your benevolence, observed Mary. So she was here, but no one cared. <laughs> <laughs> but every impulse of feeling should be guided by reason. And, in my opinion, exertion should always be in proportion to what is required. Thanks for that, Mary. Yeah, that doesn't... Thanks. You didn't tell us anything. You didn't even tell us whether you thought that the exertion is worth it. I guess she's saying don't do it, Elizabeth. I guess so. Which is silly, because it's like, Lizzie, the the, the stakes are so low. She's just going to walk over there to see her sister, and Mary's saying... The exertion isn't worth, might not be worth it. Uh huh. This also, you know, this talk of reason was huge in like Regency era, uh, <laughs> and so I, I think this is kind of like a, a slight dig at people who are like so obsessed with this idea of reason that they can't really see <laughs> like the practical, practical use of it in real right, life. Uh-huh. Yeah, and of course, no one listens to her. Everyone ignores that. Yeah, <laughs> and then so we will go as far as Meriton with you," said Catherine and Lydia. <laughs> Elizabeth At accepted, one time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth accepted their company, and the three young ladies set off. Okay, great. Now we are outside. Mm-hmm. If we make haste, said Lydia as they walked along, perhaps we may see something of Captain Carter before he goes. Mm. So once again, Lydia's priorities are the officers. Seeing the soldiers. She doesn't mm-hmm. give a care at all about Jane. No, this is just an excuse for them to walk to Meriton uh, again. Uh, in Meriton, they parted. 
The two youngest repaired to the lodgings of one of the officer's wives, and Elizabeth continued her walk alone, crossing field after field at a quick pace, jumping over stiles and springing over puddles with impatient activity, and finding herself at last within view of the house, with weary ankles, dirty stockings, and a face glowing with the warmth of exercise. I really like the scene for Elizabeth. Yeah, you can, like, I like that she's, you know, making her own... Making her way downtown, walking past. She cares about her sister more than appearances. She's also like a very active, healthy person who does things on her own. She doesn't even need her family's carriage. I think part of the reason she doesn't accept the horses from her father is like, let me do this on my own, I guess. This is yeah, my she, journey. Uh -huh. this is, yeah, this kind of shows her like sort of fierce sense of like independence and self-sufficiency. I've been not to date us, but living in COVID era, Brooklyn, I've been using walking as my main means of transportation <laughs> and any, anything approaching a three mile walk, Elizabeth comes into my head. Oh, that's really, that's really sweet. Okay. So she gets to Netherfield Park. Yes. She was shown into the breakfast parlor where all but Jane were assembled and where her appearance created a great deal of surprise, her weary ankles, dirty stockings, and face glowing with the warmth of exercise. <laughs> That she should have walked three miles so early in the day, in such dirty weather, and by herself, was almost incredible to Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley. And Elizabeth was convinced that they held her in contempt for it. And I think it's she's, she's right. Yeah, I think so. Uh -huh. I appreciate the, yeah, like, so many things about this is just so, like, improper, quote-unquote, like... It was so early in the day. The weather was bad. She was by herself. Mm -hmm. And um, she showed up unannounced. Yep. Uh, she was received, however, very politely by Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst. So then we also see that uh, Elizabeth is perceptive enough to see the contempt through this polite attitude. Mm -hmm. And in their brother's manners, there was nothing but better. There was something better than politeness. There was good humor and kindness. And why? Why is he so happy to see Elizabeth in this shamble state? Uh why is because uh, he thinks she'll make Jane happy? Yeah, yeah, and she cares wants, about her sister. Uh -huh. and he wants Jane to be happy. And he cares about the comfort of Jane. Yes. So the, here we have a just a very distinct difference between Mr. Bingley and Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst. Mm -hmm. uh, how does Mr. Darcy feel about this? <laughs> Mr. Darcy said very little, and Mr. Hurst nothing at all. The former, Mr. Ms. Darcy, Mr. Yeah. Darcy was divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given to her complexion and doubt as to the occasions justifying her coming so far alone. The latter, Mr. Hurst, was thinking only of his breakfast. I love how we know so much about Mr. Hurst in like three asides about him, basically. Right. Merely a gentleman, cares only about his breakfast. I can't remember the other one now. Didn't he like fall asleep or something? I think we'll later he'll see fall asleep it. Later. Yeah, he'll, uh, okay, yeah, yeah but, but he... His action, his inaction reveals everything. Yeah, he's a man who lives for the moment, for yes. the most immediate pleasure. But <laughs> let's talk about the real, the really significant reaction here, Mr. Darcy. Mm -hmm. So he has kind of, he's kind of divided about this. Mm -hmm. uh, he's divided between admiration of the brilliancy which exercise had given to her complexion, meaning like her rosy cheeks. Yeah, like, her uh, rosy cheeks, probably just like her... I don't know, like deep breaths, maybe. Yeah, which I think is, you know, it's a little sexual. It is totally. Yeah, sexual. yeah. It's like, yeah. whoa, this is that's kind of hot, actually. Yeah, uh, she has some color in her yeah. cheeks. Uh, and doubt as to whether she was really justified in coming so far along. Right. So his own sort of like sense of 
propriety is sort of also getting in the way of his feeling, letting himself completely feel these things for Elizabeth. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, so let's go on. Uh, her inquiries, Elizabeth, after her sister, were not very favorably answered. Miss Bennet had slept ill and though up was very feverish and not well enough to leave her room. So this is, she is not in a good place. Yeah. So the letter, as we now confirmed, was totally under underselling what Jane was going through. She's basically stuck in bed. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth was glad to be taken to her immediately, to Jane. And Jane who had only been withheld by the fear of giving alarm or inconvenience from expressing in her note how much she longed for such a visit, was delighted at her entrance. That's really nice. It's like Elizabeth can almost read Jane's mind Uh here. It's like Jane didn't want to say that she wanted visitors because she didn't want to alarm anyone. But like Elizabeth knew that she needed to go see Jane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think almost like Elizabeth could see it in her, in Jane's very muted way of expressing (laughs) herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane was not equal, however, to much conversation, and was Miss and when Miss Beagley left them together, could attempt little beside express expressions of gratitude for the extraordinary kindness she was treated with. Elizabeth silently attended her. Mm-hmm. So with her like feeble breath, she is. <laughs> <laughs> they treated me so well. <laughs> yeah. And Elizabeth's just like, mm-hmm. What happens when breakfast's over? Okay, when breakfast was over. They, they, Elizabeth and Jane, were joined by the sisters, and Elizabeth began to like them herself when she saw how much affection and solitude they showed for Jane. So not as much as Elizabeth. They still had their breakfast first, (laughs) but they are showing solicitude for Jane, and Elizabeth appreciates it. The apothecary came, and having examined his patient, said, as might be supposed, that she had caught a violent cold, and that they must endeavor to get the better of it, advised her to return to bed, and promised her some draughts. So, meds. Meds. Uh, The advice was followed readily, for the fever symptoms increased, and her head ached acutely. Elizabeth did not quit her room for a moment, nor were the other ladies often absent. The gentlemen being out, they had, in fact, nothing to do elsewhere. So, what, you know, maybe, like, a couple sentences ago, Elizabeth was like, Oh, they're actually, you know, they actually care about her, and they're, they're, like, you know, sitting next to her all this time. But actually, they're just here because the gentlemen are not around. Because there's nothing else to do. So they, Jane has basically given them the entertainment that they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not in the, the form that they wanted. Mm. When this clock struck 3. P.M. 3 p.m. Uh-huh. Remember, this was all like in the span of one morning. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth felt that she must go and very unwillingly said so. Miss Bingley offered her the carriage. And she only wanted a little pressing to accept it. So she only needed a little bit of convincing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. When Jane when Jane testified such concern in parting with her, that Miss Bingley was obliged to convert to convert the offer of the chaise into an invitation to remain at Netherfield for the present. How do you think Miss Bingley feels about this? She is annoyed as all hell. <laughs> she doesn't want two Bennets in her house. <laughs> Elizabeth most thankfully consented and a servant was dispatched to Longbourn to acquaint the family with her stay and bring back a supply of clothes. Great. Yep, that's Chapter it. Chapter 7. So, a lot of... We are moving along quick here. So now, Jane and Elizabeth are both in Netherfield. That's I, right. Yeah, yeah. And I like, even though this is almost entirely the doing of Mrs. Bennett's lack of concern for her daughter's health, this is... 
Mrs. Bennet is advancing Austin's cause of getting the two sisters in a room with Darcy and Bingley. Mm-hmm. That's true. So she is advancing the cause of romance. So in a, in a big way, she was actually, and this is a goes a long way toward bringing Elizabeth and Darcy together at the end, pl- yeah. planting the seeds. So maybe we should congratulate Mrs. Bennet actually on the the smashing success of her plan. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that sort of got in the way was Elizabeth, but thus far it's not. She's not entire. She's not concerned about Elizabeth in the least. Uh, and Mr. Bennett would be okay either way. Even if Jane died, at least he could blame his <laughs> wife. At least it wouldn't be his fault. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not to mention Lydia and Kitty also got another reason to go to Meryton. Oh yeah, the soldiers. Yeah. That's uh huh. These are. This we're is, just gonna keep yeah. Yeah, these are things that are going on in the background. These soldiers, but they're gonna play a pretty, a pretty uh, pretty important role down the line. All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up. All right. Cool. This was great. Thank you for listening in. Yep. We'll see you in chapter eight. I'm Tom. And I'm Grace.